0: In today's passage, we're going to come across this uh, sentence. We're going to hear the Apostle Paul say this. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Now, come on. What is the deal with that? When is the last time you have boasted in something that showed highlighted, advertised, something you're not good at, your weakness. I'm not talking about merely admitting that you're not a perfect person. That's not the word that Paul uses. The word that Paul uses is boast. This is one of Paul's favorite words. He uses it in almost all of his books. But Paul, except for one little mention in the book of James, Paul's the only person who uses this word in the New Testament. Now, it's not that it's not in Scripture at all. If you look at the Septuagint, do you know what the Septuagint was? The Septuagint was the Bible that Paul used. The Septuagint was the Bible that Jesus would have been familiar with. It was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So if you look for that word that Paul uses for boast throughout the Septuagint, you find it, I didn't write it down, but it's a couple dozen times, a bunch of times, maybe three dozen times, I don't know, maybe more than that. I shouldn't even guess because I didn't write it down. I should have wrote it down a bunch of times. It's all over, a bunch of times. A couple of examples. The one you heard Len already read when he was up here from, from, from Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me. The psalmists use this word frequently. In Psalm 94, we see, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt that's boast? That word is boast. They pour out their arrogant words. Another Psalm, Psalm 32, be glad in a totally different flavor to this one. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. That shout for joy is Paul's word, boast, all you upright in heart. No, we're not just talking about saying, yeah, I'm not very good at that. We're not just talking about saying, oh, nobody's perfect. We're talking about somebody who gets up on the, yes, I am so terrible at this. Look at me. That's what we're talking about. My favorite example of Paul's word for boast in the Old Testament comes from Daniel 5. The king, uh, so you remember this one, Um, I think it's the one where Nebuchadnezzar sees the writing on the wall. And he's already drunk, and he's celebrating with his uh, his foot, but then God's hand shows up and, and writes a message on the wall for Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel 5, 6, it says this, Then the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. That, by the way, is a euphemism. He, he pooped himself. <laughs> Never said that in a sermon before. But that's what it means. He soiled himself. I should have put it that way. Be more genteel about it. <laughs> he soiled himself. And then his knees knocked together. The verb there for his knees knocked together, guess what it is? Boast! His knees boasted. That's how Hebrew works. Hebrew is, in some ways, Hebrew is more similar to Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics than it is to um, English. They gave you a picture of what they're talking about. So you can imagine his knees, you're knocking boasting, announcing to the whole room, to the whole world. They're, they're commanding the attention of everything, right? This is what Paul's saying. And Paul wants us to believe that he means to celebrate, to cheer on, to shout from the rooftops things he's terrible at. (laughs) What? Where, Where do you put that on your job resume? Where do the weaknesses fit in there? They're not on mine. It's a difficult thing to boast in our weaknesses. For some of you, it may be a difficult thing to even talk about your weaknesses or to think about your weaknesses, to admit them to yourself or to others, let alone boast in them. I know I am like this. I am sensitive to criticism. I take criticism too seriously. And I've learned through my life To have a critical heart towards others. See, if I can point out your flaws, then we don't have to talk about mine. If I can focus on what's wrong with you, or what's wrong with him, or what's wrong with them, I can start to feel like maybe I'm not so bad. I may even forget my weaknesses altogether. Interesting how that works, huh? Maybe that's not you, but I bet you know somebody like that. I've had to learn, I've had to learn that the hypercritical heart is not confident, sure of himself. The hypercritical person is really just insecure. He hasn't really come to see the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ That he, the hypercritical person, is in fact worse than the people he criticizes, yet adored by God. If he can be made to see that, it'll wreck him, and it'll change his life. It has mine. Well, very well, Adam, I can admit that I'm not perfect, sure. And I can maybe see your uh, point here and and stop criticizing others so much. But I'm still a long way from boasting in my weaknesses. Well, let me read on to you a little bit in this passage from 2 Corinthians. Because if ever there were a man who had a right to boast, it was Paul. Before meeting Jesus, Paul was the cream of the crop. He was educated and he was well-respected. And then Jesus, God the Son, showed up to him in person and said, Saul, his name was Saul at that point, now you're Paul, you're mine, now go change the world. That happened to anybody in here? I didn't think so. It happened to Paul. He's got some reason to boast, don't you think? Paul... After this encounter with Jesus, he goes on, and he's performing miracles, healing. He's been rescued miraculously from the clutches of death more times than he can count. He's converted thousands of people to Christ. Churches look up to him for his wisdom. They look to him for wisdom and guidance. When he issues discipline, man, people take it to heart, and they get their act together. You'd think this guy had a lot to boast about. He's been taken up to the highest heavens, and he's seen visions of God. So he writes this in verse 7. He writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. I don't know what that thorn was. People have all kinds of ideas, speculations, educated guesses, but we don't know what he's talking about. But we do know this. Watch, a little, watch here at verse, um, where was I, 8. Paul says, Now three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, he, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, My grace Is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So get that? God's power made perfect in Paul's weakness. So we may be a baby step closer now to understanding how somebody might come to boast in their weakness. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul continues, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I am content, he says, with calamities. Watch in some of conservative America, conservative evangelical America right now, you you might think that persecutions are the worst thing that could possibly ever happen. But Paul says, I am content with them and calamities. For when I am weak, he tells you why he's content with them. When I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's word. I should be noted that I'm preaching this sermon in the context of a couple series of a couple sermons about the church. Last week, I told you that the church is the only thing in all the world that will last forever. Do you remember the balloons? Remember the balloons? Uh, if not, rewind or scroll down on the Facebook. You'll find it there, or go to iTunes, get the podcast. There's this desire on the part of every human heart, desires to be part of something bigger than himself. That's universal. But all the things we pour our lives into, the blowing up of the balloon, we're expending our breath, all the things we pour our life's breath into, they're destined to die. Either abruptly, boom, when you die, or gradually, over time, as your great-great-great-great-grandchildren pass on, move on, pass away. Only the church lasts forever. So the question then, the question for today is, well, what does this about the church have to do with boasting in weaknesses? And the answer I'll give you, at least to start, on your notes page, the first answer I'll give you to that is that God has made Paul the super apostle, that's my phrase, but I think it fits. God has made Paul the super apostle to be dependent upon the church. God responded to Paul's prayer for healing by saying no. God ever respond to your prayers by saying no? Anybody? He responded to Paul's prayer for healing by saying, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, you might be tempted to read that and think, ah, I get that. Paul is supposed to trust in God more. He's supposed to, uh, maybe you get old-fashioned on me, and gird his loins or, or pull himself up by his bootstraps. Read more, pray more, fast more. He's supposed to lean on God more. That's because you are addicted to individualism. You're addicted to this individual mentality that faith is me and Jesus. The Bible doesn't understand that. The Bible doesn't know anything about a person's personal relationship with Jesus, except within the context of a church. The Bible doesn't know anything about a person's personal relationship with God, except within the context of God's people. What does God mean when He tells Paul, my grace is enough? He's not talking about a supernatural injection of grace that, gives you, uh, that He gives you so that you can magically do stuff you couldn't do before, or so that you're stronger than you were before. God is talking about the church. The grace that is enough for Paul is the church. If it weren't for that thorn in your side, Paul, you would think too highly of yourself and too little of the people to whom I have joined you. How easy it would have been for Paul to forget that he used to be the sinner of sinners and except for the fact that God reached down and grabbed a hold of him, he'd be way worse than these people he's writing these letters to trying to get them to shape up and get their act together. God has made Paul, the super apostle, to be dependent upon the church. In many ways, he's dependent upon the church. He needs the church, uh, he needs people to write for him, to carry his letters. He needs people to defend him, including in this book, 2 Corinthians. There's false teachers are coming in, and they're screwing up what Paul taught. He needs people to stand up for him. Paul can't do this alone. In chapter 7, verse 13, Paul's crew is refreshed by the hospitality of others. In chapter 8, Paul is dependent upon their generosity, their financial donations and support. And at the beginning, in chapter 1, verse 11, he writes, it's a very pointed language, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Sounds to me like he's saying, if you don't pray for me, I can't do what I'm doing. It won't work. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wrote half the New Testament. I'm just showing you a few of the ways that he needs the church in this one letter. If God made the super-apostle Paul to be dependent upon the church, what's that mean for you and me? What do you reckon that means for you and me? What do you think? God... You think He's made me to be dependent upon the church? Do you think? I bet you He has. God has made me to be dependent on the church. See, you can't reach spiritual maturity on your own. That scares me to death about this COVID thing, aside from all the other stuff that it's doing, wreaking havoc on our kids at school, and our economy, and the people in the hospital, and the poor nurses and doctors, and the people who are suffering from the disease. But goodness gracious, there's also a, 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 a small army of people who have been divorced from their churches, from the people of God. And I just don't even know how that's going to play out in the months in years to come, but we will be feeling that for a long time. If you know people, if you're in contact with people, in your life groups, in your Bible studies, please encourage them. If they cannot be here, get on this thing and at least be with us in person. If you can't be in person at a life group, get on that Wednesday morning group at 1030 on Zoom. If you don't know how to, Get a hold of me. Call the office. Get on there. You need the people of God. You cannot reach spiritual maturity on your own. Now, on your own, you can become a Bible ninja. You can pray in your prayer closet day and night. You can fast until people can see right through you. But you cannot reach spiritual maturity that way. Because spiritual maturity is not a skill, nor is it an education. Spiritual maturity is not a skill. It is not an education. It is not having the answers. It is none of those things. Spiritual maturity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot know Jesus Christ outside of his people, his church. Because he's not there. He's here. If you want to meet Jesus, you know where he hangs out. His body, his bride, his people. Now, is that messy? Of course, it's messy. I, of course, I don't know who said it, but of course, there's sin in the church because uh, uh, I'm in the church. But it's the only place to be a Christian. Is it uncomfortable? Sometimes. Is it annoying sometimes? Yeah. But it's the only place to be a Christian. So, Paul, God has made the apostle Paul to be dependent upon the church. God has also made me to be dependent upon the church. And lastly, God has made others in the church to be dependent upon me. And here's where we really get back to this idea of boasting and weaknesses. In the church... Your weaknesses, they become like medicine. Your weaknesses and my weaknesses, they become like medicine. They give other people, I'll just give you a few examples of how God uses them when you give them to Him in the context of the church. They they they, they give other people a chance to serve. Man, it hurts my, my, my soul when somebody's in clear trouble, or they've had some big surgery and they can't hardly walk, but they refuse to take help from anybody. Man, why? Don't you know it's a blessing when you give people, when you allow people to serve you and to be the hands and feet of Christ to you? Your weaknesses, they're going to remind you of your need for grace. They're going to put you in, sometimes, in conflict with other folks. Now, in the church, one of the reasons we, make, we, we have membership and we make that commitment to each other is we say, you know, we're humans and we're sinners and we're weak. And because of that, we're going to butt heads sometimes. If I spend enough time with you, eventually we're going to butt heads. But the commitment of the, the, the membership, it's, it's similar to a marriage. It means when I torque you off, you're not going to run away. You're not going to say "Speak to the hand." You're not going to say "Peace out." I'm going to go find a pastor who, what a fill in the blank, or a friend, right? Who your weaknesses give God a chance to show off. Look at how Paul and all the things that he accomplished. Paul, this guy who was just breathing hatred towards the church. And who has this history about him? You think the things that he did to God's people ever kept him up at night? You think the things that he did to God's people ever just racked him with guilt? You know that feeling? To be racked with guilt? That same, that one scene, thing you regret doing so bad it keeps coming back to you again and again at random times, totally random times, and it won't leave you alone. Well, look at what God has done with you in spite of that. Even though you did that thing and many other things, God still chooses to use you, to love you, to save you, to bless you. You're letting God show up and show off. And God uses your weakness to encourage other people who are weak. Why? When we get together in a church or in a Bible study or whatever, and we always put our best foot forward and we always have our best happy shiny faces, and we always have our nice clothes, and, and, and we don't invite anybody over to the house unless the house is clean and the food is one of my, the best things I know how to cook. Where does God get to show up in that? What it looks like to me is that, boy, you are a AJ squared away put together person, and you are nothing like me because I ain't like that my house ain't like that, and a lot of times we eat hot dogs or pancakes for dinner. You see, if we're not willing to just let our weaknesses be, then it looks like that that God's not the one doing the work in this church, because we're all put together anyways. We don't really need God. You ever wonder if we seem that way to people who visit? Do we seem that way? I don't know there's a balance of course you don't want new people visitors to come in and you'd be like hey this is sally and boy she's a liar and over here is uh uh, over here is uh you know sam and sam's a real person i shouldn't uh, give me a fictitious name frank do we have a frank over here is uh frank and uh he can't quit stealing stuff and you know i mean you're not gonna do that but at the same time Do you ever wonder if we're just being real with each other and letting God show others what He's doing in our lives? Paul points to his struggles, his failures, his temptations. He calls himself the worst of all sinners. And what is the effect? It's the effect is that others can say this. They can say, I see Paul. If Paul can do that with his weaknesses, maybe I can too. Or they look at an example where Paul failed miserably and fell flat on his face, and they say, and they say, wow, I saw Paul really screw up there, but look, but look, God forgave him, and look what God's doing with his life now. But if Paul doesn't let anybody see that he fell, there's no glory for God to get there, huh? They're only going to see the good things Paul's doing, and and, and Paul's going to get the glory. You see how that works? Now, in a church, it, it, I told you it's a fine line. I and mean, That's okay. We're going to walk this fine line. A lot of the things I preach about, a lot of the things we study about in Scripture, they have a, a balance to them. You know, you don't want to uh, go too far in this direction. You don't want to go too far in this direction. This has a balance to it, too. In the church, if your weaknesses become like medicine, that means, first of all, that the church must be a safe space to be weak. It has to be a safe space to be weak. I have to know that if I'm going to share my weaknesses with you, that you're not going to gloat over me, that you're not going to use them to make yourself feel bigger, that you're not going to gossip about it, right? But at the same time, I have to know that I can't hide my weaknesses because in the dark is where they fester, especially if we're talking about sins, right? In the dark is where they fester and they grow, and they get stronger and stronger. They have to be brought into the light, but the church has to be a safe space to do that. We need you. We need you more than just on Sundays. We need you to do life together with us. Now more than ever as our culture, not only is our culture already drifting at 100 miles an hour towards secularism, but now we've got COVID and our own people are drifting away from us. How many aren't here? We need you. but more than that, you need us too. You need us too. Now we're going to sing a very simple song. Thanksgiving's coming on Thursday, of course. It's easy to complain these days, but what do you have to be thankful for? I want you to think, especially as we sing this song about your weaknesses. The weaknesses that maybe God has given you, maybe it's a weak faith. Maybe it's a weak prayer life. Maybe you're prone to a particular sin. Maybe your body is failing. It could be hundred other things. But I want you to think about your weaknesses in, this, in terms of, almost in terms of a gift that God's given you for a reason. He's given you these weaknesses for a reason. For His power is made perfect in weakness. And as you sing this song, I just want you to think about how your, God might use your weakness as medicine in the church among His people. And thank Him for your weakness. Thank Him for what He is going to do through your weakness. Give it to Him. And maybe that'll be just one more step in the direction of actually learning to boast in the weaknesses that you've been blessed with.